Welcome to another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Daniel Hanley, and joining me on the other line, he just confessed to being an est convert, and we're all <laughs> not so silently judging him for it. It's John McMahon. <laughs> what can I say, Danielle? It's just like a really great means of self-expression. Men would literally rather go to self-help that's sketchy than go to therapy, etc., etc. What I, you know, I have no defense. I'm just surprised that so many people are in that room all the time, every day, always. Like, who are these people? See, this is where Keller and this is where Lily are coming very handy because they could remind us of, like, the self-help boom of the 80s. Yeah, you and I are both a little too young to, like, have experienced it. So, like, we're just experiencing it on screen. Yeah, and it's an emblem of the new masculinity, TM, SF. Uh, um, <laughs> you know, I do. As anyone who spends time listening to the Young Pope Pod will know, I am deep into therapy. <laughs> so we don't have to worry about any est appearances. Deep in a great way. Yeah, we think. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I feel yeah. like I benefit from it. <laughs> <laughs> we did have a like let's troubleshoot shoot some academia bullshit session yesterday. We did. We needed it. We did for me. Um. But we troubleshooted. Usually, it's the other way around. <laughs> no, I just wanted to be forthcoming that it was that yeah, it was my perhaps. that it was my stuff. Uh, we yeah. did troubleshoot it, and now we're here recording this episode. So, yeah. just to note that we are recording this podcast during the 2023 SAG AFTRA strike. Without the labor of the actors who are currently on strike, the show being covered here wouldn't exist. And Union Power got the WGA a good deal, and so we are hoping that um, the same. Like, solidarity and fortitude is going to get SAG-AFTRA a good deal as well. Amen, brother. <laughs> you know, we love our little labor shout-out at the beginning of these. We sure we wish do. We, didn't have, we, didn't, we wish we didn't have to make them, and, like, yeah. you know, the bosses would just not be the worst, but here we are. <laughs> I think some bearded man had something to say about this a long time ago. We are, instead of those bearded men, we are talking about Americans, Season 4, Episode 2. I don't think there are any bearded men here. Pastor Tim, written by Joel Fields and Joe Weisberg, and directed by Chris Long and Danielle. I think you have a summary for us. Yes, yeah, so the IMDb summary for Season 4, Episode 2 of The Americans, Pastor Tim, obviously my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Philip tries with increasing desperation to get rid of a sensitive and dangerous package as family tensions in the Jennings house reach a boiling point when Paige shares a secret of her own. It's not the worst summary we've had, but it's also, like, not the best. The increasing desperation is hilarious because, as we will discuss, the actions taken belie the serious desperation. and Do then, we need like, to get us out of the way first? Yeah, well, just like the, the box being on the on the seat. It's <laughs> just like you could see Philip's whole body like lets out like all the frustration. I was surprised that like steam didn't come out of his ears. <laughs> <laughs> and well, that's because all the steam went out of his ears while he was fucking strangling the air security guard. Oh my on god. A very true. Very true. Okay, let's let's take it step by step. We'll come back to that. <laughs> Obviously, we couldn't not mention it. We have it's more glanders thoughts. Yeah. So many glanders thoughts. Actually, like 
randomly not enough, but we'll have plenty of them. (laughs) All right, take us in. I think that the way we want to enter this episode is thinking about truth-telling, which is a flip side of one of our go-tos of Secrets and Lies. And we think that this episode is one, like, in which the expression of the self comes through through the self-disclosure of secrets or through the telling of truths that make one's life harder or make one's life more difficult in at least some ways or at least in practical ways. And so I think then what the episode is asking us to consider is how on some deeper level of subjectivity or self-expression or something, these telling of truth is actually like an affirmation of self. So that's, that's my like big picture, like bullshitting theory. Well, I think one, I love that. Love the bullshitting. Always here for it. But also, I think it's that like, it, it's interesting. <laughs> it's like why we're friends. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> but I think it's interesting then to like name the episode Pastor Tim, which obviously is named for Pastor Tim for other reasons that we're going to get into. But I think like the idea of disclosure and like a pastor and confession, like I think that there's something there and that's quite interesting. Like yeah. as a, as like a more meta commentary on what's happening in this episode. There's a lot to say there. Obviously I can return to young Popeland whenever and think about, you know, what if, what if Lenny was, uh, was the pastor, was the father to, uh, to Paige I would here. rather have Lenny than Victorian <laughs> ghost pastor Tim. <laughs> Jude, give me all the Jude law all the time. <laughs> that is one of the one of the many pros of the young pope. Uh, listen to all the pods. Yeah, because there isn't confession, right? Like that we're at some like lefty Protestant church, right? So yeah. like Unitarians yeah. or whatever. Um, probably harder Actually, core than Unitarians. I don't. Is there not confession? Do only Catholics have confession? Uh, maybe the Episcopalians do. I mean, I the only Christianity that I've like been exposed to is Catholicism. So I also, I I didn't know that Christian and Catholic were not like fully overlapping terms until I was like 17. <laughs> so we're not doing great That's... over here on like on religion uh, 101. <laughs> that, yeah, religious studies 101. You didn't need religious studies 101. You just needed Christianity 101. You had your other bases covered. Not interested in Christianity yeah. 101. What if what if Victorian ghost pastor Tim was your instructor for religious studies 101? Withdraw. <laughs> I'll take the W oh. on the transcript. <laughs> All of you go camping at this cabin. No. Oh, my either. God. <laughs> That's not the start of a horror movie. I We'll get to it. Let's talk about <laughs> Nina first. Let's get Nina okay. out of the way because we always sideline Nina, which is like my we thing do. because and we continue to do it here. Yeah, so I, I don't want to sideline Nina. Let's start. Let's start the truth telling and self disclosure. Like, let's dig in with Nina. So, sort of, can you connect that thread for us? Sure. So I think that there's a structural element to that in the narrative of the, or the construction of the narrative in this episode, in the sense that we've had allusions to Nina's uh, husband before a couple of times, like in season three and here, obviously, on this season. And to have Boris actually appear, like, in the episode, and for them to have no bullshit between them and, like, a a level of honesty and forthrightness that, honestly, any relationship, romantic or not, could aspire to. Or they're just, like, post-romantic, kind of. Um, They're just, like, so so excited to see each other. It's, like, very calm. 
Yeah, agree. <laughs> yeah. And so there are a bunch of truths that are told to the audience in that conversation in like a matter of fact way through their connection, right? In this revelation of the truth of Nina was married, technically they are still married, but like they are right. not together anymore, which itself is a cool thing. And then obviously there's the fact that she gets caught and rather than like any prevarication or any attempt to save herself or anything like that, even when like Vasily is inviting her to like beg for forgiveness or beg for like to minimize the consequences of this. Instead, she just says, I'm not who I was. And that's in response to this line when Vasily says you were almost free. And so it's as if for Nina, the being free through the lying to intone, so on and so forth would have been like the, exact opposite of freedom like that's actually an an, an enclosure or some sort of like yeah. denial of freedom but it's only through the fact that she's the one who rewrote the letter to jacob anton's son smuggled it out and then is willing to own it so much in the face of like Vasily's uh systematic bureaucratic response to it yeah but, like for her she is more free than to herself, I think, yeah. than maybe she has been since episode one of this TV show, literally. Two things I want to pick up on. One, that, I, that I'm not who I was was really striking. And it's like, on the one hand, yeah, of course you're not who you were because we've watched you sort of like go through all of this tumult and struggle and now you're in the gulag, right? Like, we've, we've watched you, like, out of necessity, transform to for survival's sake, right? And on the other hand, there's something really interesting about that that comes after seeing Boris, right? Yeah. Where, like, it's almost as though she can, like, look at an older version of herself that, Mm -hmm. that, like, was with this man. Like, she clearly still has love for him, but, like, it seems like the romantic element has been, like, that that's not there anymore. So, like... I can imagine, you know, seeing someone who was formative and important in your life and and that is part of the that is part of the realization that is part of the like the self-revelation is like in the interaction with Boris and like it's like his presence is part of what allows her to like track where she is like in this process of becoming which I think is really interesting. Yeah, especially because I think we see all of that pass over Annette Mahendru's face yeah. in the moment when Vasily uh, asks her why, Zachem, like, which is a little bit stronger than why, um, but asks her why, and we get the look on the face before she gives the I'm not who I was line. Right. And I think that, like, Annette Mahendru communicates that entire, like, series of emotional, um, like, circulations and resonances for herself in, you know, the two seconds of her face that we get before she speaks. I think that's right, and I think it's also, like, in the way she carries herself, like, vis-a-vis Vasily, right, where she's basically just like, fuck you, like, I don't care. And not, not like a, it's, it's not a nihilistic, like... No, not at all. Fuck off, but it's like a... It's, I'm not who I was, I know who I am. Like, which is a different version of, like, you can try, I know that you're trying to break me, I know that that's what this is, but, like, I'm admitting to you what I did because I'm not ashamed of it. It's, like, and I want to own it because owning it is, like, 
I think, and this goes to what you were saying earlier, right? Like, owning it is precisely what she couldn't do with the entire thing with Stan, like, with everything in America. Like, she was, like, she never could own it. She never could claim those actions. And so, like, I think the, the tone of her voice is another place where we see, where we can, like, pick up on those resonances and circulations, too. Yeah, and there's that kind of, there's that scene in between the two that we have looked at where she has a meal with Antone and they're talking in English right back and forth to one another. And, you know, Antone kind of chides her for getting word out because of the risk it puts both of them, but especially Nina in. And Nina said, like, it's not up to you. I needed to do this. So there's also the action that she needed to take like the reaching out towards the other, right, towards Jacob or however we want to frame it, that was a prerequisite for that full expression of, like, her sense of self, her self-subjectivity that yeah. she offers to Vasily in that moment, which Vasily is, like, even Yusevich is never going to stand. Right. Or never going to understand, right. I should say. Right, right, right. Right, and like, and also, it's clear that she's not trying to make him understand. She's just no, like, she's just all. like staking, staking a claim or claiming her ground, right? Like, and there's yeah. something like incredibly powerful about it. But it's also, it's also quite subtle, which I think yeah. like that's another thing in this episode. There's like a lot of really intense stuff, but that comes through in subtle ways. Yeah, who or what then is like the the addressee? If it's not necessarily Vasily, I feel like it's herself. Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like she's saying these things for herself, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't I mean, and also maybe that like it's not that Vasily is not the addressee, but he's only one of like a whole set of actors in the audience. And but yeah. the most important actor, nice. I think, and I think this is like part of the process of self-actualization, right? Like it's her. Yeah. Nina should be teaching us. <laughs> That's why. Because <laughs> that thought popped into my head. Because my brain is broken. I'm glad that we started with Nina here. Because I yeah. think that, like, the questions that she raises for us help us get to all of the other characters. And particularly the other disclosing characters. Um, you know, and we've been interested, I think, throughout about, like, who or what other characters is Paige being kind of yeah. counterparted as yeah. when we've talked about Paige and Martha and we've talked about Paige and Kimmy. We haven't had as many opportunities to talk about Paige and Nina as resonant characters, but there's something about Paige with like a very different affective state, yeah. nonetheless telling not only the truth of that she told Pastor Tim yeah. what her parents told her, but also her not giving in to Elizabeth's guilt tripping. Yeah. Right. And like attempt to make Paige the villain. Paige is like insisting that this is huh. an entirely fucked up situation, right? Like you lied to me. You put me in this situation. In response to Elizabeth, you need to put this family first and you didn't. And like I think it's the double truth telling that Paige does. There's like the re- revelation of the secret. Yeah. And then there's like the harsh confrontational truth to Elizabeth. Yeah, it's interesting because I didn't read the I mean, I think you're right to cap to categorize it as guilt tripping. But guilt tripping to me is much more calculated than it felt like Elizabeth was being in that Ah, moment. Interesting. Like, I think there's a version of this where Elizabeth and Philip, instead of deciding to just like 
murder Pastor Tim, which I obviously was very on board with, but <laughs> alas, right. we're still here. Right. Um, yeah, Danielle wanted to use that like faulty sketch space heater <sighs> for something. My God. I took Elizabeth's response there to be like quite organic. And like ah, okay. to to really be an expression of her of her frustration in the like, I'm trying to let you you've been begging to be let in. We let you in. And now you're just like you part of why we struggled around how to do that is because like we were not sure that we could trust you and you've just shown us that we can't trust you. Right. So it's like I think the you need to put the family first is like a, like an organic reaction to like the life or death stakes like here. That's a fascinating reading. I think it raises the question of whether Elizabeth, and and this might be the case for her more than any other character on the show. I think she, she has the least access like to that organic, if we want to use that word, which I think is helpful, like sense of self. I think yeah. everything is so mediated for her. It's I think mediated that's right. through like the way she cathects through the nation and yeah. the Soviet Union. It's mediated through the blending of running an agent and loving somebody or right. running somebody and being a family member, a kin relationship to somebody. That like all of those are so um are so ever present in all in her entire mode of being and becoming sure we'll throw that in there too that uh, you're welcome um i'm smiling that's that's that there's no because i think the most direct elizabeth would have been not you need to put this family first. It's you need to put the nation first or yeah. the Soviet Union first I or the mission right. first or whatever. That's, I think, the, the most core Elizabeth. And I think that because of the blurriness of the way that the family fills in for the nation for her at points, yeah. like, adds that level of mediation. I think that's right. I think I think I, that is in part why I read it as more organic than normal Elizabeth like mm-hmm. engagement because we don't get the like the veil of the nation like slipping into the place of the family. Like there's something about the way she reacted to Paige, which was about like which also you see. It's not the same degree, but, like, when she's talking to William and she's like, my children live in that house. William, or is she talking to Gabriel? I forget. One of them. I, I can't. In this, in this episode, it's Gabriel. In this episode, yeah. it's Gabriel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, like, when, because she's like, oh, it's, like, back in our house. And, and, Gab- and Gabriel's like, in your house? And she's like, I know, my children live in that house. It's, like, a similar, like, we don't usually get mom Elizabeth. And I think that there's something, like, closer to not, like, the real version of Elizabeth, but, but, but a more organic combination that, like, involves her being a mother. But that's also a part that she's, like, pushing down a lot. Interesting. Hmm. So do you, want, do you want the, like, Russian architecture joke? Obviously. <laughs> Soviet architecture joke? Yes. It's, like, actually in this case... Elizabeth is like Rodina and Mutz, which is the 
the motherland calls uh, statue in Volgograd, i.e. the city that was Stalingrad, yeah. I also known as like the literal most impressive thing I've ever witnessed in my life is this like physical structure I've ever witnessed is this like it's got to be like 40 meters tall or something. Oh my God. Sorry, 85 meters tall. Oh my um, God. It's the tallest statue of a woman in the world, according to uh the uh, the Wikipedia. It's doesn't have a pedestal, uh, and if it did have a pedestal, then it would be taller than the Statue of Liberty or something like that. So anyway, this is a long this is a long digression into uh, making a joke that no one in the audience will. I'm into get. it. I'm into it. <laughs> no, because like also, but I think that's also what Elizabeth strives to be, right? There's yeah. something about yeah. like it's not just like oh I love being a mother. It's like I will be a mother and I will like be the shit out of being a mother, even if it means that I'm a bad mother, right? Like there's something about her drive, which is like, it's applied to everything like in her, in her life. But I don't know. There was like, there was something about the, the page interaction that felt a little bit less like I'm a spy and a little bit more like I'm a, a spy and I have a family and like negotiating those things is really tough. And like, can't you just be a little bit easier? You like precocious teenager. Why do you love <laughs> And Elizabeth church? Jennings have it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I mean, to emphasize the precocious teenager part, like I think one of the things I was really impressed with, with in Holly Taylor's acting of this particular scene is her expression of both the precocious teenager yeah. who's like scattered and doesn't know what to do and the kind of owning her feelings or owning her response or self-possessiveness that she turns to after the disclosure when she gets to the, yeah. you know, you put me in this position, you lie to me part. And like, I thought that, you know, that's a, hard combination to write and especially it's a hard combination to act but I think she did it yeah I think so too and it's also like okay they didn't really put you in the like you put your you being best friends with Pastor Tim like put yourself in this like Wow. So, so I love that you hate Bastard Jim so much. You're willing to like quasi victim blame Paige as a result. I don't find I don't think Paige is a victim here. Wow, that's wild to say. What is she a victim of? <laughs> She's a victim of her entire family is a lie and a sham and but her parents it? are spies for the Soviet Union. Oh, I mean, yeah, that. But like is she a victim of that? I don't know. Just like get on board. No, I'm just I kidding. mean, I'm good. <laughs> Oh, when Danielle has a cold, she's like, really, and we and we record at night. She's it's like, it's the nighttime recording. I haven't even taken any cold drugs. <laughs> I'm impressed. Maybe Danielle did pop that gummy before we I started did not. recording. I would be asleep. The gummies just like really put me to bed. <laughs> you, you okay? So you've got some indica over there, or it does not? Or it doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> indica, the true like thirty something sleeping pill. Like, let's be honest. It's really, I just, like, I'm so easily affected. I think because my body is always functioning at, like, high stress levels that anything that relaxes my body 
is like <laughs> sends me to sleep. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that's that's your form of like owning yourself and your truth. Oh yeah. That yeah, and I love you, hookah. Paige, Nina, and yeah, oh, yeah. We still have to smoke hookah together. I don't know how oh, that's yeah. happened. I yeah. wonder if there's something in in Schenectady. Oh yeah, this is great. I bet <laughs> I can think of some other folks we will be with who I can imagine will smoke hookah yeah. with us if it's available. <laughs> Let's get back to the Americans because yeah, this um, cold means okay. that I don't have. I like I can uh, I can feel my engine running down, but like yeah. not depleting. So like. Okay. Watch this segue. Do it. You know who I think would surprisingly be into smoking hookah? Pastor Tim before he got murked by (laughs) Philip and Elizabeth with a space heater. Unfortunately, he didn't get murked by a space heater. That's the whole problem. Victorian ghost Pastor Tim is his self-actualization and we couldn't get there. <laughs> Danielle, that's his telos. His telos is to actually become a ghost. Did I write telos in Greek on the board on on Wednesday? I did. I did. This is the day, the day after I went with Agon on the board on Tuesday. I've already so. written Agon on the board, and I'll write it again when we do Antigone. Don't worry about it. I never had any doubts. Literally every single day that I'm teaching Roots of Political Theory, which is like our intro political theory class, I'm like, guys, I'm writing more Greek on the board. Do you need to know this Greek word? No, you do not, but... Did I learn Greek so that I could be able to do this? I did. So buckle up. (laughs) They're into it. I think they're like, did I write oligarchy on the board in Greek? Of course I did. That's impressive. See, I I don't, I can't do that. Well. I can't do that. You didn't take a full summer of Greek. Or or live in Athens for two months where you did not understand a fucking thing anybody said. (laughs) Also true. These are, these are all the truths we're telling. These are all of my self-actualizations. <laughs> okay, oh, Pastor you? Tim, Victorian ghost. Yeah, but not but not fully. Unfortunately. Um, I mean, I thought that the, the, I don't know, we'll get into this, but like the what to do about Pastor Tim question, like brought to bear narratively, like so many threads that were uh, potentially connecting, like yeah. this connected them. Um, okay. And, like, I think remobilize some of the Philip Elizabeth arguments yeah. in a different place. It slightly scrambles the response to Paige's future, right? Because, like, yeah. I think it, it the, the, the revelation or the disclosure is how much Philip is willing to use whatever argument is available to him to avoid doing the things he doesn't want to do and thinks they should not do. Like, now it's like, oh, when Paige is a spy, she'll realize that, like, we killed Pastor Tim, even if she doesn't know it now, right? So it's like, that's a a future that he doesn't want to entertain, but it's useful for him in the moment. Well, and, and also, but, like, the thing that's really interesting about it, right, is, like, Elizabeth calls him out exactly on that. Like, oh, yeah. now you're willing to, like, think about it just because it, like, serves your purpose. <laughs> right. The other, the other thing that I thought was really interesting about the all of the what to do about Pastor Tim is, like, right at the end of the episode where um, Elizabeth is, at, like, tells him that this, that she knows and, like, sh- that, or rather that Paige confessed. Yeah. And Philip's, like... Let's get out of here. I like feel like we have not gotten that mm. from Philip since season mm-hmm. one. And that's really You're interesting. Right. You're right. 
right? Like, and yeah. but to your point about remobilizing all of these, like, sort of like dormant or like. <laughs> Sorry. Please, yeah, go go for whatever it is in your brain right now. Actualizing all these potentials. Yes, that's where I was hoping we were going. I saw that on your face, and I was like, "That's a Deleuze face." I know that one because that is me. It me. <laughs> really like two sides of the same brain over here. It's like really tough. I'm the one who threw becoming out first. Like, what is going on here? You're gonna be like quoting Euripides in a minute. I wish I I wish I could. I can't. You could. I actually could not. You probably could you if I gave you some Medea, you would know that that's what it was cuz you've read that article of mine enough times. Yeah, exactly. But otherwise I wouldn't. And I could identify no other Euripides. <laughs> that's true. Look at look at you. This is gosh, all this episode about growth and self-actualization. <laughs> Danielle just owned the fact that she is the recipient of an award from the American Political Science <laughs> Association. Can I, you tell us more? You don't have to. No, I We're in the middle of an I, American I, podcast. Which is actually appropriate that this is the like forum of your discussion. Well, you know what? Part of me wants to say it now because I know Keller's gonna listen to this and then he, then he'll be proud is of he? me. I think he does listen to them. Some of them. I think he gave up. Oh, no. Anyway, I won this award. It's called the Oaken Young Award. It's for two pretty badass feminist thinkers, Susan Miller Oaken and Iris Marion Young. I guess to be a badass feminist thinker, you need three names. Um, You got to work on that. Danielle Victoria Hanley. I have them. Yeah. Just kidding. Great. I'm really. You got to start signing your articles that way. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, Yeah. For this article that I wrote on Medea that John definitely read like a million times <laughs> I it deserved talk- the award that it won i can say that i was talking sure. to another friend of mine um and he was like oh my writing is so bad like your writing's so good and i was like no my writing has just been edited a million times which is like everyone's writing has been edited a million times like the ideas when they come out are not that good <laughs> or like they take some time to like be shaped into stuff that makes sense to other people and isn't just in my brain this has been one of my hobby horses for students this semester. Yeah. It's like even those of us who are professionals, and this is literally our job, like yeah. we have to have our writing looked at by lots of people at multiple stages. 100%. So like, yes, you can go to the learning center for 45 minutes. Yeah, and also like don't feel ashamed <laughs> about some, it. Exactly. That's what like, it is. It's actually a thing that expert writers do, right? Well, That's – it's a trait of good writers is to seek out the help. Is the knowing that, like, your writing gets better when eyes that did not compose it, like, yep. intervene. Because you cannot, yeah. like, I'll never be able to fully get out of my own head, right? But, like, when yeah. we're writing together, I always know when it's when it's something, like, that you've written and something that I've written. Although lately it's, like... Did I write this section? Can we tell anymore? I no. can't wait. I'm going to, whenever I have, like, read something that Joel has co-authored with his friends, he's always like, oh, can you, like, figure out, like, who wrote what? And usually I can because of, like, which particular thinker they're engaging. Um, because they each have different, like, hobby horses in that regard. And often they're trying to bring all of them into an article. Yeah. Um, which is cool, but it's a lot. Yeah. But I so wonder, we're going to see if Joel can tell yeah. in our piece. Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. Yeah, I'm going to send it to him tomorrow and see if he can he can tell. <laughs> It'll be it. interesting. Look at, pe- to see. Look, 
to see if pedagogy that... corner on not quite great books. Also, uh, shout to Regan Levitt, see... who's the writing center. Oh my god, yeah. Uh, Always you know, shout to Regan here. Levitt, who also was your like amazing co-host on the Pope Lenny stuff. And yeah. did me a real solid for filling in for the summer. <laughs> Thank you. Otherwise, you would you would have had to podcast about your absolutely because that's not. at a certain point it just became inevitable. If that's what was happening. Nope. That was that was my telos. Listen, for every young pope, there's a Loki season two. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Who, who's your, Regan might co-host that with you? Oh my god, uh. that would be so fun. <laughs> Regan or Lily or Nick or like or just like. No, but Regan would be so fun. Okay, we got to get back to Americans. I can come in on each episode for five minutes not having read it to, like, make ridiculous out-of-pocket critiques of it. Love. Perfect. Great. Yeah. Um, well, we Pedagogy Corner, we've planned another miniseries. <laughs> we have talked about my award, which I don't even like doing, so there's True. that. Um, True. Should we get back I to Americans? Th- yeah, we should note Elizabeth's dream real yes. quick about Pastor Tim. Watch the, one of the things I appreciate about this episode, and this is going to come up in a couple of places um, as well, and throughout the rest of our episode, and that is the way in which there's a little more formal experimentation. Yeah, in this particular episode. And I think the paradigmatic example of that is Elizabeth's dream, because we are meant to believe. That this is happening. Yes. There's a lot of realism to it. And perfect for you, they made Kelly O'Coin look even more ghostly for him being dead in the bed at the like first moment of the dream when Paige shows up until he, she gets flipped over and like it becomes um it becomes Elizabeth's rapist. Yeah. I the the dream was really chilling and the yes. execution of it, that flipping over is like, is, is a lot. And I, I couldn't help but think of it in relation to like the Philip as a kid stuff from the last episode, that that was sort of an yes. interesting thing, right? Yeah. Like the, there's something about also those scenes, which actually happened, but those scenes are also like. We're very in them. There's a realism to them. Like they're yeah. they're they're incredibly palpable. Like yeah, yeah. No, I. It's a lot. They're foundational scenes of violence experienced by both Philip and Elizabeth. Yeah, right. And then it's that Philip responded in that moment. Yeah, right. And for Elizabeth, it's years and years and years. Well, and it's, like, part of how both of them, just like you said, it's foundational, but it's also, it's part of their origin story as a spy, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. on the one, and there's, it's not, it's both foundational, like, instances of violence, and also, like, these are instances that coerce, t- yeah. to different extents, both of these people into the, like, spy lifestyle. Uh-huh. Right? As and, they are bringing Paige into that lifestyle. Right. Well, so that was where yeah. I was going, which is, like, the coercion of it is, like, and you can see that Philip is, Philip is obviously, like, more ambivalent about this than Elizabeth yep. is, but I think there's a little bit of ambivalence. Like, this episode, I think you get a little bit of ambivalence from Elizabeth, too, like, around this, uh, this, the very, like, the violence and the foundation and sort of like the what do we do about pastors Tim is also a question of like how much of the violent aspect of this lifestyle yes. are we bringing Paige into and and I think 
how do we bring her into that part? Like, mm. what does that actually look like? Because that feels like the right. part that no one, that Elizabeth has not contended with. And, like, that's the yes. part that Philip is never not thinking about. That's such a brilliant read of the whole situation. <laughs> it also connects back to where we started this, like, Paige Elizabeth yeah. point with, because it's like, if we accept, and we don't have to, but I will suggest we do for the sake of this uh, bit, to, that, like, the dream state is the least mediated expression yeah. of, like, one's unconscious, at least. Yeah. Then we do see that directness of the family matter, of the mother-daughter matter. Yeah. Being extremely present and that most directly accessible yeah. to some core aspect of the self for Elizabeth. Yeah, and, like, maybe putting it slightly differently, like, I wonder if, like, one of her, one of her fears, and then in part that which is animating some of like emotional reaction to Paige in their in their like confrontation in the kitchen, right? Is like I was I was raped and the likelihood is that you'll be raped too. And so like mm-hmm. like you don't understand that like you're 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 making this more complicated for you. Like there's some yeah. there's something about self-reflection and realization like yeah. in and through the dream that is being sort of like projected onto Paige in the in- interactions. It's another excellent observation, particularly because we saw last season how Elizabeth became more distant yeah. right from the sex that she had to have as part of her job. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's part of the, that specific concern that we get, that gets represented through the dream scene. Here. Yeah. I think that that's absolutely right. And so it's like, I think it's helpful that you pulled us into talking about the dream scene, which is yeah. also just like a really well shot scene. <laughs> the Philip Elizabeth scenes are well shot scenes. Oh my I god, think, the Philip Elizabeth this. scenes are so good. Do you have one do you, where do you want to start with these cuz I think like I, like I feel like I could talk for 8 years on each of them. Please, go well, for it. Where I do just, you want to start? I, part of me wants to start at I want to start at the beginning where where yeah. So this episode picks up right when the last episode ends. Literally right after. Which is surprising. Which is the second time in a row, right? So if we had that happen from the end of season three to 4.1, we have it happen again from 4.1 to 4.2. Yeah. And so Philip walks inside and Elizabeth's like, he looked mad. Like, what was that about? So then they get like, they put the the glanders in the cooler. <laughs> they can't. What a phrase. Glanders is literally the worst name for anything. Like I could, you could throw pebbles at the alphabet and come up with a better combination of letters. But I think the fact that it's Glanders is key to its like mass appeal. You know what? The jury is out on that one. (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to walk down that road with you. All right, I guess I'm defending that Glanders is the best, extremely communicable, dangerous disease that's a bioweapon in human history. In a sewing tin or like an Altoid <laughs> tin. Like, I'm, to be fair, I do want to say Altoid one thing, tin. though. I do want to say something. That, that's Please. what it looks like. It is what it looks like. That's the perfect, that's the perfect comment. But, so like, 
the thing that this makes me think of is that I'm sure that I've talked about this on this podcast before, but like, okay, my family eats a lot of Uncle Ben's rice, which like unfortunate brand, but that's what we eat. My grandmother from like, it's got to be 1945. Like I can't, it can't be from later than that. Had a, like a tin that Uncle Ben's rice came in that then what everyone would do was like they would, when my grandmother moved in with us, she brought the tin with her, which was like already rotting in 1995. But, you know, we still used it. And it wasn't like we put the... Does the tin have glanders? It was... (laughs) It wasn't like we put the bag of rice. It was like we opened the bag and we poured the rice in. So every time someone bought new rice, they poured it into the tin, which definitely has given my family lead poisoning. Like I'm it's un yeah. we still use it. It's still in the house. And it's like, what are we doing here? But the the Glanders box made me think of this Uncle Ben's rice like tin that we've been using for it's gotta be 70 years like i gotta take a picture the next time i'm home like what are we doing here people this is not this is not sanitary it's not fda like approved like this is bad this is glanders in our house when i make my like you know messianic Uh appearance at the hanley household at some point it's gotta happen it's gotta happen i'm my spy scheme is gonna be to smuggle out the lead poisoning glanders rice tin (laughs) I'm gonna like, like oh let's all let's go see the Eagles. That's my like trick to get everybody out of the house. Wait, I forgot something inside. I'm sorry, and then I, I love that you out think the rice I tin. love that you think more than my mom and Kieran would be going to see the Eagles because the rest of us are not interested. Like not oh, no one damn. is interested right. in the Eagles. My can, plot's been foiled. Yeah, like you gotta you gotta do better than that, my dude. <laughs> all right. I'll I got I got time to work on it. Yeah. I got hopefully some more seasons to learn from the Americans. Yeah, you know. I, you know, a, a, a dead drop that's not allowed. <laughs> not allowed. It's like, when when has that ever happened? And William is like, it is, even if this is the only time it ever happens in the history of the world, it will kill civilization. And it's like, uh-huh. okay, okay, okay. <laughs> we'll come back to that. Anyway, yeah. Philip and Elizabeth. So that is all going on and then elizabeth is asking philip like what what was he so mad about and it's like in my brain i was like is he actually going to tell her like what's going on mm-hmm. like is he going to mm-hmm. tell her about s we just heard about how like she'll kill him blah you know joking around and then like or not it's like so interesting that he's like well i guess like this is just what it is and he just lays it out and i was really fascinated both by that move and then elizabeth's response is more measured than I was expecting. And, like, this is, I think, where you get that, is she running him or does she love him? And, like, are those two the same thing? Like, this felt like yes and no, right? A, I love that there's this beautiful moment as they're about to go down into the basement and the whole production of going down into the basement is exaggerated, including Elizabeth looking up at Paige like, this is ridiculous. Um... Like, Paige, you know, what's going on with her. And then they, like, tromp down the yeah. stairs, hide the glanders in, like, the fake air vent um, and all of that. But, yeah, the it's such a smart storytelling mechanism as well, the way that Philip tells it. Because in 98% of other shows, that exact telling would have been... 
I had sex with Sandy, right? And like the structure of the reveal, the structure of the disclosure is like, I had an affair, I cheated on you or whatever. Yeah. And, and like, so my brain wondered, that actually maybe would have been easier for Elizabeth to hear. Maybe. I wonder, like, was that what she was, was that what yes. she was expecting to hear? Good. Yeah. Good. Yes. That's the right question. That's the right question. But yeah, the, how many times have you gone? Why? Like what? It's a very matter of fact. And then the tone shifts yeah. to your point of it being so measured. Like, we actually get to hear in the timbre of Carrie Russell's voice. Yeah. The, like, way she's processing this through each successive question. Yeah. And I think that's, like, the to come back to this idea of, like, self-revelation, self-actualization, yeah. right? Like, that we're, that... Carrie Russell, I think, is learning something about herself in that moment, too, Mm -hmm, as much mm -hmm. as we are, like, we knew this about Philip, but we're also learning something about their relationship in that moment, which was surprising to me, right? Like, I think, like, I'm, I still, like, I ended the episode and I was still surprised by both the initial reaction and then all the times that she asks him, are you okay? Are you doing all right? And that, like, by the end of the episode, he's like, "Of co- like, how could I be doing all right? You know, yeah. like, that he's mm-hmm. also being more honest about this. And yeah. then, like, he's like, that's what Esta's like. And I was like, okay, my dude, like, relax. <laughs> I, I love that I know so much I know. for you that like re- a symmetry. Yeah. I do. Um, and there's the multi-layers yeah. of the reveal, because it's the Est reveal. And then, like, one of the other scenes you were referencing is that he tells Elizabeth, like, about the the boy that he kills, yeah. like, back yes. in the Soviet Union, too. And that that's the pivot to him telling her yeah. that this is what Est is like. Yes, yes. Right? And, like, yes. there's... I mean... The there's also a question here about the way that Philip discloses to Martha and the way that he discloses to Elizabeth and how those are different, right? Because like his first disclose his first two disclosures about the boy that he killed were partial to Martha and partial to Est. Yeah. Right? So like he had practiced that one a little bit. And so he has a slightly different version of it, even as he can go into more detail here. There's like a certain way in which the most emotional outpouring of that particular reveal has already happened for him at Aston to Martha. So that's the more matter of fact reveal of the two big revelations of the two big truth tellings. Whereas it's the S disclosure that has a little more, I think like affective charge. I think that's right. I think that's right. And also I think like, again, we're learning something about, Philip and Elizabeth's relationship that like Mm -hmm. he is able to give her the rest of that story that like we have already been privy to as the audience that like he is not like fully giving other people like there's something there. And also, I think you're right that the affective charge is kind of elsewhere. And the point about what this reveals about their relationship is indeed crucial. I think Danielle and like witness the turn from 
Elizabeth trying to make a joke, right? Like, have you made up with your boyfriend yet? <laughs> to that, that quickly becomes Philip's truth telling about this boy that he killed, yeah. um, you know, all the way back when. And like, I thought that that was particularly notable. And then just the Martha as structuring absence yeah. thing that's happening in that moment was just extremely high intensity, I think. I agree. I agree. Um, Do we want to talk a little bit about maybe, like, seriously talk a little bit about Glanders? (laughs) Can we talk, like, have that final moment first between the two of them? Yeah. Well, A, I gave you this hint a very long time ago when when Elizabeth is openly blasting SIGs. Like, that is when (laughs) we know something is seriously wrong. And there's this, like, great... And this is another one of, like, the flourishes that is a little more, I guess, whoever Chris Long is, like, the director, I guess, like, their particular, like, way of doing this episode. We see Elizabeth as, like, a kind of normal exterior shot. She's smoking. The camera is established and firmly outside. Switch to she's still smoking, but now the camera is attached to the hood of Philip's yeah. car as it pulls into the driveway. So it's a very different kind of camera shot um, than we usually get. And I think that that's, like, meant to point out to us how jarring the combination of Philip's disclosures, the page disclosure, yeah. and the death of Elizabeth's mother. Yeah. Like, all of those have come together at once. Like, that's the assemblage that Elizabeth has to live through in this moment. Well, yeah, and I think, like, the thing that struck me about Elizabeth blasting Sigs is I feel like we don't usually see her do it at home, right? She usually Correct. goes exactly. somewhere else. And, like, exactly. on the one hand, you get the, like, there's no need to hide this from Paige, I guess. And also it's like, she can't but do it here because she needs to talk to Philip and she's like requested that he come home. And like, this is the place where they need to do these things now. Yeah. And the episode ends with them expressing some deep affection for one another or some kind of understanding, like in that particular moment, the like, the disclosure from Elizabeth to Philip that her mother died, like their affection in the car, even in this moment of crisis. And then like, what a beautiful last two lines. We're in trouble. I know. Yeah. And then the camera like slowly like zooms out from like behind the car so that they're still in the car, partially obscured. Yeah. As I thought it like very beautiful. And that was more classic and less flourishy. I thought that I like ending zoom out. I think that's right, and there's something about, like, they're sort of in shadow in the zoom out, and there's something about, like, they're in shadow, we're in trouble, like, we're in the shadows, like, also Mm -hmm. we've, like, all of this truth-telling is, like, pushing us back into the shadows, right? Like, Is it all Play-Doh, is your question. It's all always (laughs) Play-Doh. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Something, something, all of Western civil, something, something. But no, to Play-Doh. I hate it. Um, Glander's time. All right, so we have to confront the fact that... Okay, Daniel, question for you. Okay. You you come into possession of Glander's in an Altoids tin. Nope. You have been told... I left it on the bus. (laughs) A dog ate it. For for, for the dog, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, Fitz. Um, I You have been instructed to keep it frozen. What kind of cooler scenario are you envisioning for your Glander's tin? Do you know what I do? In a frozen, 
I open frozen peas, I put it nice. inside the frozen peas, and then I put the frozen peas in my freezer. Because you know what? If I had teenagers, they wouldn't be eating frozen peas. It's the same yeah. place. Like, if I wanted to hide ice cream from children, I would hide it in the frozen peas. Philip and Elizabeth, you're idiots. <laughs> <laughs> so you wouldn't put it in an old cooler that you with bought half at of one CBS. ice pack? <laughs> For it's the '80s, so for two dollars, your two dollar CVS cooler with one gross '80s like CFC made uh, like cooling pack. I don't even know that it was a cooling pack. Are we sure it wasn't like three <laughs> loose ice cubes in a Ziploc? <laughs> like, what's happening That's here? Also, I wouldn't you rule that out. Magical weapon! Like, what are you doing? <laughs> what? This was the wildest choice in the whole episode. Philip kills a guy on the bus. I get it. Like, that's your jam. You know, like, Elizabeth is trying, is scouting the murder of Pastor Tim. Great. <laughs> Turning on lamps and gas. Okay. Yeah. On board. You put, uh, you, they're like, you got to freeze it. They don't even put it in a freezer. No. Mm-mm. In a, in a slightly chilled, slightly cooler than room temperature. Do you know cooler. what the other way that I would have done this? If, like, have you ever had to, like, send a stool sample to a doctor and you, yeah. like, have mm-hmm. to freeze it before you do that? I would tell my kids, like, oh, dad has to send a stool sample, so don't open that cooler in the freezer because there's poop in it. And they wouldn't open it. That would have worked. I know. Listen, I have strategies for days. Like, (laughs) Philip and Elizabeth, call me because you're bad at this. (laughs) This is you being bad at your job. Yeah. But, like, on on the episode's level, I like that, like, the the MacGuffin of Glanders is so discombobulating to everybody that, like, they go through this whole comedy of errors and murder to, like, try to get rid of this fucking Glanders that's hanging out in the house, right? Like, yeah. it's... I know. You know we, we, we love talking about, like, actants. Like, we Glanders do. is not necessarily yet, potentially, question mark, a contaminating actant, but, like, it is contaminating their lives and their brain power. Absolutely. And, the, and it's literally contaminating the, like, lifeblood of people around them when Philip kills them. Yeah. Altoid tin banders, yeah. When that Altoid tin shows back up on the bench, I was like, uh. I guess Glander's hot potato is not an easy game to win. It's tough. It's, it's, it's tough. It's, uh, it's, it's a rough life for for Glander's. Yeah. <laughs> a Glander's and it's, compatriot. I don't know. <laughs> shouts to our Glander's comrades. <laughs> We should always record at night, um, especially Friday night after no, we both taught all week. I do feel like that we are the loopiest on Friday nights because this is not the yep. first time we've done a Friday night nope. record. But like, sure I don't know. Isn't. I feel great about it. I love it. Amidst all like the comedy of errors of Glanders, yeah. though, there's actually like one of the most telling lines of dialogue in like the entirety of the Americans from William in the context of it all, right? So like William and yeah. Philip have met up. Philip doesn't need to be in disguise because they Martha's hooking them up with the FBI surveillance right. reports. And they're talking, whatever, like 
Philip raises the, or excuse me, William raises the like oozing pus scenario because the dog found the glanders, which is, you know, like, rough. that's, yeah, rough, rough, rough. Um, and Philip is like, we're going to get you access to level four. And William has this amazing yes. line. Right? Yeah. Anything you can do not to succeed yeah. is greatly appreciated. And because in the span of, one and a half episodes they've established William is like actually one of the most dedicated people to the cause that exists in the KGB. He is telling them not to succeed. Like, I think the gravity of that is meant to hit us extremely hard. I was hoping that this was the line you were talking about when you put it in the outline, because I think like, you're absolutely right. The gravity of this line, the gravity of like the request is To be in a position where you feel like you could even make that request is so interesting. And then also, like, Philip and Elizabeth have just been brought into this mission, but it has obviously been going on for, like, a much, like, much longer, which is part of what Gabriel tells them. So long. Right? And it's so interesting to think about questions of, like, ethics and morality around exposure, but also around, like, okay, there's stuff above his pay grade, above his, like, security clearance that, like... If anybody got their hands on, it would be too dangerous. It would be too much like mm-hmm. like that there's something, mm-hmm. there's like a, a beast that you don't want to poke, which is part of what he's requesting not to walk down that road. And it's like, yeah, it also makes me feel like maybe he's not that long for this world, but that's, you know, for the dossier and not for... Uh, it is for a dossier. So the other actually literally deadly serious like counterpart to the glanders errors is philip's murder of the airport security guard on the bus because the check pilot that they're using to smuggle stuff out like is generally nervous about this scenario doesn't know what's in the altoid tins but clearly is not happy about the situation says that last time he thought his co-pilot was suspicious, and then the airport security guard gets on. Philip keeps trying to defuse the situation. He's in disguise, like quite the wig on Matthew Reese at this point. Wig watch. In quite the Matthew Reese, like communicating how exasperated he is at the check pilot, continuing to fuck up in front of the security guard. Yeah. Really excellent. And then Philip kills the security guard. Yeah, and, like, in plain sight, right? Like, in plain sight. There are other people on the bus. There are other people on the bus. It's, like, the desperation is, like, so, it's, like, so palpable. And and that, I think, mirrors the, like, please do not succeed of William. Yes, great great call. Great call. What do you think about the way, like, this scene was conceived, filmed, shot, like, the music choice, which, you know, we'll talk more about when we get to the 80s, but, like... I love the music choice. Yeah. Well, I... The thing that I kept coming back to was that it's so fascinating that this is happening on a bus because, like, I used to take the bus all the time in in Philly when I was in grad school. Like, I would take the bus everywhere. And... There's so much stuff that could be happening on a bus and you would have no idea, right? There, It's like at once its own ecosystem and also like mm. 12 totally separate ecosystems that no one is like paying attention yeah. to. So there's something really perfect about this being on a bus. Yeah. Even if I was like 
blasting some, what have I been listening to a lot recently? If even if I was playing some like low, Harry Styles. really, really loud, <laughs> or Harry Styles, I think I would notice if somebody was getting murdered a few rows back from me, or six or seven rows back from me. I don't know. But I guess not. You know what? Maybe not. Maybe, like, to your point, one is so in their own ecosystem and the shared ecosystem that's actually, like, there's something about the anonymity of public transit or, like, how people operate in that kind of space is is part of this, too. Yeah, haven't Um, you ever been on a subway where, like, somebody takes their pants off and you're just like, well, I'm here, so, like, it's what it is. Like, I feel like that's happened a million times to me, and I'm just like, "Mm, another one. Right. And and not that that murder is, like, taking one's pants off, but, like, I do think that there's a kind of, like holy shit, is this happening? Okay, I guess I'm just, like, not going to pay attention. And then that, like, I'm just trying not to pay attention to anybody else on this bus is very much how I ride public transit, no matter what. Yeah, that's a great point. And, I mean, there's a way in which that just heightens the contrast with how they shoot the actual murder of the airport security yeah. guard by Philip, where after there's like this head on shot of Philip strangling him, then he like wrestles the airport security guard to the ground. And there's a shot of that, like kind of from a little bit above or like at an angle. And then the camera flips. So it is from the security guard's yeah. perspective as Philip has this like manic look <sighs> on his face. His wig is all out of sorts. It's all fucked up on his head. That's just like, what the fuck Matthew Reese is able to do in that moment is really incredible. And it's like, also like a, I think it's like a little bit of a Kubrick homage. I think it's a little bit of a David Lynch homage. Oh, like, I'm thinking of like that. There's a there's a couple images from like the first run of Twin Peaks where okay. like the character of Bob like is filmed in this way. I've never seen um, it. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I assumed. Um. <laughs> oh, another prestige TV show that I've not seen. Although I would be but, yeah. open to watching that one more than others. Dan, is that our follow up to Americans? Ooh. Okay. Last time, I when I watched Twin Peaks for the first time, that really fucked my dreams. Okay, well. I had to, like, talk about my dreams in therapy that I had about Twin Peaks. I already have a hard time falling asleep, so it might not be the best idea. Open to possibilities, but. I um, mean, I still have to fall asleep with the TV on because I watched The Exorcist in ninth grade, so, like, that's where I'm at. (laughs) I was fucked up by Scream in fourth grade. Okay. That, like, like several years of, like, I struggled with that Yeah, one. I believe that. Yeah. And then Philip, like, has to sit on the bus with that's, him, like, shoved to the side. That's the part where I was just like, I'm not sure that I can keep watching this. Like, there was something yeah. about that that I was just like, oh, my God. And, like... I don't know why, but the thing that jumped into my brain was when they had to put Annalise's body in the suitcase. Great, great call. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, mm-hmm. like, where my head went. Yeah, it's the how do we confine the space that this dead body yeah. takes up. Yeah, exactly. Um, and also, to be very cliche about it, like, the airport security guard being shoved into the corner and Philip and the pilot both, like, still being there, it's giving telltale heart. <laughs> Nice, nice. So we love an Edgar Allan Poe ref as October creeps upon us. Oh, spooky season! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, amazing! Oh, time for the segments. Time for the segments. Let's let's get into Speaking it. Speaking of spooky season, Daniel Dossier, <laughs> Pastor Tim, Pastor Tim the ghost. Okay, 
I just like I just want to register here. Like I can't believe Pastor Tim is still alive, but it's my karma that this man is still alive in this show. <laughs> like you look like a Victorian ghost, but we can't ghost you up. It's like very frustrating. That's God's punishment to you. Pastor Tim is still alive. I think that that is right. Um, <laughs> the other thing I want to register is like <laughs> I just I Please. I hate Pastor Tim so much. But this other one is a more is a wilder theory. So <laughs> oh, I'm ready. Hit me. Okay. Glanders, they keep saying it's going to cause everybody to have pus. It's going to kill all of New York City. It's like this, this, and that. So they keep being like, oh, glanders, like it's going to... It's going to infect everyone with pus, and it's going to be really terrible. And, like, you don't let a dog eat it because, like, it'll be bad. <laughs> you can't do a dead drop. You have to, like, kill a person, and then the other person doesn't even take it. So, good luck. Like, may the odds yeah. be ever in your favor, Hunger Games style. <laughs> right? But my theory is that Glanders is actually, like, not that big of a deal. And some somewhere down the line, they're going to find out that, like, oh, this, like, thing that William has been wearing seven pairs of gloves for... And like yeah. is like, oh, you got the you got that vaccine. Good luck. Um, actually, <laughs> is just like the common cold that I currently have. Mm, interesting. So Glander's denialism is the original COVID denialism, <laughs> is what you're telling me. Yes. Yes. Great. Any William specific predictions associated or unassociated oh, with mean, your Grant Glander's theory? I think that he's like not long for this world. I think in particular okay. being like. Him saying to Philip, make sure that that doesn't happen is fine because I think Philip is like sympathetic. But the minute that man says this yes. to Elizabeth, like he's fucked. Mm. Mm-hmm. So can I can I ask you a dossier question? Yeah, we have this. It's like it's an aside, and it's no more than an aside about how. Gad is going to meet with Jean's parents, oh, yeah. <laughs> and Stan has the like, but you know, but we didn't, but we didn't kill, kill him. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I laughed at that one. And I'm wondering if that, that like, raised your alert at all. Stan's really quick to say we didn't kill him, but who do they think killed him, right? Like, that to me was not Stan being like he killed himself. It seems like they are aware that that, like, actually wasn't what happened. So, yeah, it didn't, I, it it definitely raised my, my hackles, but, like, not so much that I remembered it. <laughs> okay. I blame the day right. kill, though. Yeah, that's fair. Um, should we go to class so you can take some night NyQuil and go to sleep? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. All right. Where do we want to start gloss? I think we start with the glare between Philip and Stan. Oh. The like bro off glare across the <sighs> road. Harry Styles has a song called Boyfriends, and okay. it's like boyfriends, you think they're so easy, and, and it's like about how boyfriends are terrible. Um, sure. And like when he performs the song, he'll he has said like to boyfriends everywhere, like fuck you, right? And so I was like, I could only think of that when Elizabeth's like, oh, did you make up with your boyfriend? And then I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like giving Harry Styles boyfriends. <laughs> the glare was a lot, but also it was like it, it really was, was yearning too. There was a glare, but there was some uh, yearning in there, which is exactly how boyfriends are. I love that read. <laughs> I, I can't add to that one at all. <laughs> it's impossible. God, I feel you crazy. reach the telos of the Stan <laughs> Philip glare. I yes. feel like I robbed yes. you of like being able to talk about it. <laughs> no, 
I'm just like in awe of that point. Um, is all is all amazing. So Danielle Henry back. Henry back with a weird mustache. <laughs> like Henry has some Wisp. some like facial hair. He's got some wisps. Yeah, yeah, but it's like oh please stop. And then I was laughing because I think last episode or a couple of episodes ago, it must have been last episode where Philip and Elizabeth are like, oh my god, his his uh-huh. cologne. Last that was last episode. It was his only appearance last episode his was cologne. his meth reference of like, too much. Oh, cologne. I have more of it. Do you want more? You smell great. And I was like, this fuck, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you want more? Do you want my son's cologne? I couldn't. I was like, there's like too much like Freud, like uh, and then, like, uh, like I just, I it was, it was not good. Yeah, it's like it's not. Are you my mother? It's like, are you my son? And are you my dad? Between Stan and Philip. I'm sorry, but the like, your recipe for macaroni and cheese is so good, <laughs> and Stan's <laughs> like, I just, I know, don't it is cook it enough. <laughs> He's giving bachelor. <laughs> yes. Like aggressive yes. bachelor. Oh my god. It's it was so that scene is so oh telling and god. so like kind of fucked up in its own way because there's also this <sighs> like Henry has this major crush on his biology teacher I, or whatever. Can I tell you though, I thought that Henry was gonna confess to being in love with Sandy there. And then mm. I was like, no, then it's the end of your relationship. <laughs> That's his spy training talking, right? Like, he yeah. knows he couldn't admit to Sandy, so his, like, transference object yeah, 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 vis-a-vis yeah, yeah. Uh, Stan is, the, <laughs> is his teacher. Oh, my God, I'm dying. I'm dying. But Stan gives good advice. Like, this isn't real. Like, this is hilarious. Uh, I wish that, you know, teachers were hot when I was a kid, which was like bro Stan, you know, coming through in the clutches always. But like also the this isn't really a thing is good advice. Yeah, I agree. Uh, like <laughs> Better parenting than Philip. Uh, well, because it's any parenting. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> For Henry. I mean, I feel like they're yeah. kind of like unparenting page and they're just ignoring Henry. <laughs> they're judging his cologne choices. Yeah. Rough. Yeah. It's a rough life for Henry. Yeah. <laughs> Stan ended up, like, not being able to keep any of the things from he and Sandy, right? Like, we saw yeah. the scene, I think it was in the finale of season three, where yeah. they're, like, negotiating who gets the stuff. But, like, the background of what had been a very full house is basically empty yeah. in the scene. Well, and I think we got that a little bit last week, too, when Tori is over, that there's also, like, it's it's much emptier than it had been in seasons past. Yeah. yeah. Any other thoughts? I know we uh, briefly dipped into it in the dossier, but any, like, Gad thoughts or the Gad-Stan interaction well, that I, happens briefly? The Gad, where Gad just is like, I don't trust you. I don't believe that you're telling me the truth. And the reality is Stan is telling him the truth or, like, yeah. And, That's and true. You, I think, like, Stan's, like, kind of hurt by the fact that Gad doesn't trust him anymore. And it's like, I also wouldn't trust hmm. you. Because I think yeah. Stan, like, wants to impress authority, right? Like, that that's mm, part of, like, who he is. And so that in that moment, he was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not hiding anything from you. Like, that was yeah. an honest moment. And Gad's like, even if that's true, I don't trust you. So, like, whatever. Great point. You know. Again. Yet again. 
real real cop shit from Stan. Like the read yeah. of how much Stan loves to impress authority is is very on point. <sighs> Listen, I call it as I see it, and I also see myself and Stan in that in that Oof. situation. I Oof. also like to impress authority. Like that's a problem. N- now we're back to our phone call. From <laughs> <laughs> Which in part was about how neither Danielle or I can say no yeah, to things we're institutionally. Bad at no. <laughs> yeah. I we're gonna get better at I'm gonna get better at it. I think you've already yeah. gotten better at it. I think so. I'm trying. Um do you want me to I got a segue here. Should I go oh my for God, it? Do it. Someone else who says no is in this episode is Oleg, who says no to Stan. Yeah. Uh in this, like, moment of personal crisis. So t- tell me about why this was striking to you. I'm interested to hear your take on it. So I think we should talk separately about, like, the Oleg Arkady scene. Yeah, I think so, um, too. So it's just a beautiful yeah. scene. Um, but, like, Stan wants to use either the recording or the fact that he knows about Oleg's brother and knows that, like, they're not trading for Nina to try to further get Oleg on his side to, like, set up Oleg as a possible agent or informant or whatever. And so Oleg comes, like, he comes to Stan's car. Like, Stan shares this news about uh, Nina's not being exchanged. And then says, you know, I'm sorry about your brother. And Oye gives the, what, are we friends now? And just pieces out. Yeah. And I, it was just, like, a beautiful moment uh, right there. I was honestly surprised by that reaction because I feel like Oye craves a bro moment. And, like, Stan yeah. was offering him, mm-hmm. like, a sustained version of that. Like, I think that that's yeah. part of what pulled him in. I mean, the Nina stuff, too. But I think there's something about the relationship with Stan. So then when he says, what are we friends now? is like, it's, like, rejecting all of it. And, like, rejecting any part that he had in it in the first place. Like, I don't know. It's, like, I, I was fascinated by it. Yeah, and just to kind of force the connection to the theme we chose for the episode, that's one of Oleg's like self disclosures. There is that there is a point of finality yeah. to his budding bromance with Stan. Yeah, which like I don't know. I think that's good. <laughs> it's good because it leaves room for the true bromance in all of our hearts, which is Oleg and Arkady. Yeah. Well, just like more Lev Gorn all, all the time, right? So Yes, always. So like however we're getting him in there, like and and obviously I would like it's like him and Oleg. Like that's what I want. <laughs> yeah. That's that's our ship is a million uh, percent is Oleg Arkady. A million percent. Um, yeah, I mean the scene between the two of them, there's so much that's left unsaid when yeah. Arkady breaks the news to Oleg. Um, there's like the way that Lev Gorn starts with like Voy Brat, so your brother. Um, and he doesn't have to say much more than that, and Oleg knows exactly what's happening. Yeah. Um and then there's Costa Ronin's like reaction. And the, like, physicality yeah. of his reaction where he, like, he leans in slightly, like, furrowed brow, like, total sadness look on his face. And, like, that alone would have been good. But then it's the, he, like, collapses back into the couch. Yeah. And, like, it, like the angle that he changes, like, his head at and just, like, the, like, slight use of his hands. It was just really excellent, like, physical expression of sadness in that moment. I agree. I mean, I think you said it beautifully. It's a, it's a, it's a short scene, but it's a powerful scene. And also, yeah. it is and the ultimate bromance in the show. 
Yeah, and it's and it's love, and they get to emotionally bond. Love, um, and I think we have some more. We have another love note coming up. Uh, should we do some less serious gloss material? Yeah. <laughs> All right, who's in fit check this week? It's definitely Elizabeth. Okay, yeah, but great moments for great Elizabeth. moments for Elizabeth. So like blue cashmere sweater, both Elizabeth and Gabriel in their like park outfits. I would also. Iconic. I, Gabriel's hat is like a thing of spy beauty. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like if you didn't yeah. know that they were spies, but if you saw that hat, you would know that they were spies. So like, you know who like that hat I think fits best on in our real life? Who? Producer Amy. Oh, that's right. That, she but can also, pull off like, Gabriel's hat. Producer Amy loves a park bench, so actually, like this mm-hmm. all fits nicely. <laughs> yeah, it really does in many many ways. Um, yeah, the two of them, Elizabeth, Elizabeth's boots, both of their coats, just, like, absolutely gorgeous fashion. I will also say, like, Elizabeth's hair in this episode... It looks good. Looks so good. And I'm yeah. I, I'm on record for being like, why are we straightening Carrie Russell's hair? But, like, it looks great. And the color looks good. Like, I'm, I'm into it. Yeah. I think, like, the blue cashmere sweater that she's in when she hears... Pages like conversation yeah, with Pastor Tim headphones. is one of just like her purely like best like articles of clothing oh. that she has worn. Interesting, yeah. I mean, I liked it, but I like didn't strike me as 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 particularly anything except that it's like very partic- particularly Elizabeth. So, which like yeah. goes along with the self actualization yeah. theme. Good job, us. Sure does. Um, what any spycraft things that we should note in this particular episode? Tools of the trade techniques craft the listen the flashlight situation (laughs) in the in pastor tim's like rectory office i was like why is this flashlight purple or whatever like weird hue it is i was wondering the same thing and then i'm like oh is it supposed to be some color that you wouldn't be able to easily detect from outside but it looks so easily detectable so i was having a hard time with it damn Damn, our brain really are, they really are exactly the same at this point. I had that, I, I'm not even, like, doing a bit. <laughs> no. I literally had that exact same sequence of thoughts over the course of Philip snooping around Pastor Tim's rectory. God, uh, it's too good. It's too good. It writes itself. It is. It is too good. Um, and then, like, we love Lev lighting up a cig. And, like, it happens... He has to, like, calm his nerves before he breaks the news to Oleg. we knew it was coming, but he looks good lighting up a cigarette. So, like... He does. I'll take it. I'll take it. so will I. All right. Bar Nostalgia time? Bar Nostalgia, I still do not know what this is from. I'll never know. Great. Um, Start us us off. (laughs) I mean, one a a truly iconic 80s song. We get Tainted Love by Soft Cell on... The bus with the, like, woman on the bus uh, who was given an incredible name in the credits that we'll get to in a minute. And is listening to Tainted Love on what I could only describe as, like, a tape player proto-Walkman. Is that an acceptable descriptor? Yeah, because I think what it is is, like, one of – it's, like, a tape player that, like, somehow has – where you would, like, record a lecture and then listen back to the lecture on, right? And this is, like, a later version of that, which those are around already for a while. This is a later version of that, which, like, it allows you to listen to the lecture – 
in headphones and not just like play back like a talk boy, like the the thing that's in um like Home Alone, right? It has mm-hmm. like a headphone jack because it's like, oh, if you wanted to listen to your lecture, you could do it this way. But then it's like, of course, cool kids are like, I don't need to listen to a lecture. Yeah, I need to listen, it to, listen to Tainted Love. Yeah, New Wave. Yeah, we need new. We all need some more New Wave in our lives. Um, Agree. I I felt extremely old. I was talking to a student the other day. Um, she is playing Marie Antoinette in the French Revolution, reacting to the past game this semester. Um, and she's, su- I found out she's super into Marie Antoinette, and it's because of the 2006 Sofia Coppola movie starring Kirsten Dunst, <laughs> and including like. The Cure is on that soundtrack and it's in the movie. Like New uh, New Order is no, in the movie and on the soundtrack, it? right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's a the music is incredible. The music is it's really one of good, the, which is like a, that's yeah. a Sofia Coppola thing, right? That's a thing. Yeah, the Tainted Love thing that jumps to my brain is Coneheads. Have you ever seen Coneheads? No. Oh my god, this movie was formative for my childhood. Oh, do you know okay. what Coneheads is? Vaguely, I've seen pictures. I've seen stills. I'm having a hard time with this. <laughs> so Coneheads was an SNL skit with Jane Curtin and Dan Aykroyd, right? So like Okay, that I knew. Right. I think I've seen a SNL version. I don't think I saw the movie. So like in, you know, in like it must be like 92 or 93, they make a Coneheads movie which has all of the SNL players in it, right? So it's like it's Dan Aykroyd, Jane Curtin, it's like Adam Sandler is like a drug dealer in it or like it's uh-huh. like a, some kind of, like, uh, like sort of criminal. David Spade is an FBI agent. It's, like, everyone from, like, that era. So the movie is wild, and, like, one time I'm going to make you watch it because I think you'll hate it and also maybe love it. But... The, it sounds like we have a project called Take Some Gummies, Watch Coneheads, and then Record a Podcast. Yeah, but also I think we need to watch <laughs> Return to Oz, too. Fine. Which we is need, we need lots of gummies, like you know, whatever. Podcasting great. is infinite. The gummies we can make that extensive. But so the in the movie they have a teenage daughter who's like been raised on okay. Earth. Okay, there are aliens. Like the daughter has been raised on Earth, and so there's a scene in the movie where Dan Aykroyd, who's like the father conehead, is bringing his daughter and her two other friends who are not coneheads to the mall and Tainted Love comes on the radio and they like turn it up and he's driving them. They're all in the back seat and they're like, eh, eh, run away. Like they're, it's like so <laughs> iconic, but I think it's like Coneheads is one of those movies that like once it came out, it was on HBO all the time. And so I think there was a summer where I must have watched it so many times. And then when I was living with my parents during the pandemic, it was randomly on again all the time. And my parents have oh. all of those movie channels. And so I watched Amazing it like nostalgia. pretty yeah. recently, but like yeah. multiple times through. <laughs> anyway. Watch Americans character most seamlessly fits in the Coneheads universe, <gasps> extended universe. Henry. <laughs> or like Stan because the whole thing is like so they get they have to get they come from outer space and they have to get passports so they get like illegal passports right like I think this is where Adam Sandler comes in he's the guy that sets them up with the passport and and the social security number but it's like a number that like you know, someone had died, so they, like, take it from the person who died, and then the guy is like, this is the, this is, like, the seventh Ramon Diaz this week, right? Like, something like that. So they basically get, it's, like, proto-ice 
is on their tail Damn. and like trying to and like they they sort of like keep getting pieces of like alien like stuff so they find like a, a the like scraps of the old uniform that have the insignia and like they you know they give it to the lab to analyze and then the lab is like there are fibers in this that don't exist on earth like what's happening here so i think like david spade his character is like these are like actual aliens like not like illegal aliens but like actual aliens (laughs) like that's the like (laughs) part of the joke it's so good <laughs> okay, I think we need to start a new running segment called Danielle Explains 90s Movies on some cold men. Well, I feel like, haven't I also explained Buffy the Vampire Slayer on this podcast? No, but I, I have watched Buffy the Vampire the Slayer. The movie? So ha- no. No, th- of course you've watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the show, because you're human and cool. But, like, the movie is where Thank it you. all started. <laughs> Yeah, I have never Written seen by Joss Whedon, starring Christy Swanson. Well, it's before she becomes a crazy conservative, <laughs> or before it's okay. like clear that she is that. Um, also, it's a two-hander, so it's Christy Swanson and Luke Perry. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. And she's like a valley girl, like the most popular girl yeah. in school. So it's it's like a little bit different than the show because like sure. she doesn't move somewhere. She's like the most popular girl in school. Okay, so Donald Sutherland plays the Giles character. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then, oh my God. Oh, who is the the like master vampire guy, Lothor? is played by, like, also an iconic actor that I'm forgetting his name, but his henchman is played by Paul Rubens, and there's this, like, extended death scene. It's John... So Joss Whedon writes this, but then he... I think, like, someone else directs it, and he... Part of the reason why Buffy the Vampire, the show, gets made is because the tone of the original script is, like, dark and and weird and cool, like the show, and the movie is, like, not that at all. It's, Mm. like, a little bit camp, but, like, and it becomes, like, a cult classic. Oh, my God. Are you looking it up? Yeah, it's Rutger Hauer. Yeah, yeah, which, like, the only time I had ever seen this man was in this particular role, and he's, like, a very (laughs) famous actor. (laughs) Oh, my God, we have to watch this movie. Okay. Okay. Put it, add, add it, it to, to the, the list. list. <laughs> Danielle on cold meds explains 90s movies is a whole thing. It's a whole ass thing. Oh my God. Um, what else is in our bar nostalgia? Oh my, I forgot that we were recording a podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Um, the gas space heater, which like Elizabeth <laughs> didn't have to make an effort to kill Pastor Tim because turning that on probably would anyway. <laughs> So the irony of this, and since now we're just in storytelling time, is strange weather for Plattsburgh in late September uh, of recently. And we've had, like, way warmer than average days, but, like, it's been cold at night. And our building on campus is just, like, extremely cold until about 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So, like, most of my colleagues all have... like little space heaters which we can't have going right and i go into the office this morning and like you know it's a little bit warmer in the office than usual i'm like oh they figured something out in the building just Uh, lit it on fire yeah if 
And so I, my, one of my colleagues comes in and is like, oops, guess I left my space heater on since I left the office at three o'clock yesterday. Uh, and so then we were joking about how like we could have solved the building's heat problem if there had just been a space heater fire overnight. Oh my God. So wild. And then that led to a series of jokes among all of us in the office today. It was great times at SUNY Plattsburgh. Listen, as always. I just want to say the SUNY Plattsburgh situation notwithstanding, I felt like that space heater was from like Ukraine in 1981. <laughs> like, Pastor Tim's cottage or like cabin or, but it's like a Christian retreat, right? So it's like a shared thing, right? I so like it's he's part of his, it's part of his it. like all the cool pastors have a network together and they they network and they have a timeshare of this cabin. So each of them gets one night to write their sermons. Well, and like Philip was like, he always writes his sermons there. I was like, does he go every week? Does he go every month? Like, does he, is he like, okay, I've got these sermons. It's like time to leave my wife and go to my weird, like, I don't know, Augustine cabin in the, in in Carthage. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so there is a, there is a Rome, New York upstate up here. I want to say there's a Carthage, New York too, actually. There's also an Ithaca and uh, I believe there's an Athens. They didn't get, they didn't. Uh, stray too far from ancient Greece. <laughs> yeah, the ancient so world. there is there is a Carthage. Uh, what part of the state are we in? Okay, we're we're in the North Country for Carthage. We're like over by Watertown, Fort Drum. Um, but Danielle, the number one town, and we've driven by this town, is Minerva. Matches our owls. <laughs> exactly. We'll have to tell. We'll, we'll have to get into like the next tattoo on the next episode. <laughs> That's a great idea. We'll, we'll have we'll have that to that list. All right, we got to keep. What going. did you What did you think about the airport? No, and borrowed nostalgia. It's like everything about the airport: the bus, the uniforms, the suitcases, the like, the signs, like everything. I was like, this they. This, they blew the budget on this one. <laughs> like, this yeah. is um, 80s. There was just, like, something about the the way that travel worked. And the show's been interested in travel, obviously, all along because they're travel agents. But, like, whether it's Paige and Elizabeth going to Berlin, whether it's this episode, like, the show's been a little more interested in, like, the nitty-gritty of yeah, travel yeah, yeah. in the past few episodes. But I definitely agree that, like, A, they, like, blew out the production bu- <laughs> design budget. And B, that it was giving 80s hardcore it like reminded yeah. me that the show was set in the 80s but then we also got all of those flashes of philip's car which we haven't seen that much of and i was like oh right philip yeah. has a muscle car 1983 <laughs> <laughs> yep uh Paige's outfit i think fits yeah. in bar nostalgia at the end of the episode for like the moment when she like walks down to do her disclosure to elizabeth yeah i feel like Paige is always giving 80s in her fashion i think there's something about like yeah kid fashion that like because you can with the colors and the patterns like and also like she's not yet formally a spy wearing neutral tones <laughs> mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. so we get like that pop from her but i'm i'm there too yeah it's the shoulder pads it's like the weave of the sweater yeah. it's like the couple like it's black sweater like the couple of white details i think are screaming 80s yeah time for minor character of the week yeah and for an episode of the Americans, an episode of this podcast, as epic as this, <laughs> we had to have two. Yeah, we needed two. So first one is Boris. Um, Boris. <laughs> Boris. 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 
Uh, Nina's husband. I got very excited to hear how Boris sounds in a, a Russian accent. Um, played yeah. by Gene Ravin. And just, like, I just loved the chemistry that him and Nina had. Like, it was like, he was, like, a nice breath of fresh air to an otherwise very dark episode. Yeah, although there's a certain darkness even to their Absolutely. conversation, right? Like, it's so, it's, like, disclosed to us that Nina had an abortion, yeah. right? Like, there's a discussion of that. And, like, Nina gives, so... Boris gives this line of, like, my world was much too small for you. Yeah. And I don't think he says that in, like, a way to neg himself. I think it's, like, a genuine recognition of who they each are as a person and why they didn't work together. I think that's right. right? And then, like, that's followed up by Nina. You know, one of her lines is, like, and this is one of her other, like, brilliant lines of the episode, is that not everything works out the way you plan it, which is, A, a cliché. But the way she says it in that particular moment, in the context of that particular conversation, I actually found, uh, like, deeply touching. Yeah, and I think, like, that's what it is. It's, like, the even the brief amount of time they're on screen together, like, their relationship is deeply touching. And we don't get a lot yeah. of that with Nina. And again, like, this is sort of where we started this episode, is, like, we're getting something from Nina that's, like, a... a a realer version of her for herself. And I think like, again, like I think Boris is a catalyst for that. Yeah. Who's our other minor character of the week? Um, So it is the woman on the bus listening to Tainted Love, um, fuller than I ever will be. (laughs) And indeed she's listed in the credits as hip girl. Amazing. Played by Chelsea Sheets. She's bopping along to Tainted Love. Bopping along. She's got it cranked in the headphones in this, uh, you know, groundbreaking (laughs) new device. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Maybe if she had done that, it would have turned her head enough to witness what was happening. A literal murder. she should have. An actual murder. A literal murder. Um, So just like... She doesn't get to do anything other than listen to the music and bop around, yeah. like, obliviously as the murder goes on behind her. But tell you what, she did a really good job at it. Loved it. She was a great addition. Loved it. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, John, I believe we've gotten ourselves to the cave. Just an yeah, hour and 35 minutes season. in. Casual. Casual. Hour and 35 Honestly, minutes. I'm surprised that it's only an hour and 35 minutes, because I feel like the main discussion I, took us an hour and 20. <laughs> I was going to say, I I looked at that a couple of minutes ago, and I thought we were going to be at yeah, two me hours too. already. <laughs> Not the least, because I've All told, right. like, seven extra stories today. <laughs> I loved every single one, and I hope we get two more before we... You I'm will. Ready. All right. So, as is our wants, Danielle, I'm going to be flipping the Republic, except here I'm in my office, so I have a physical copy. Great. Right, our the King James version of the Republic, i.e., the Bloom version, <laughs> uh, and I'm flipping around, and Danielle's going to tell me to stop at some point, and then she's going to pick a letter. Stop. All right, give me a letter. D for Danielle. D. All right, we are in three ninety two D. Okay, this is book three. Yep. One of my less favored books of the Republic. I'll be quite honest. Fair. But here's the line from our boy Socrates, but it's going to get us somewhere good. But you just have to. Perhaps you'll grasp it better in this way. Isn't everything that's said by tellers of tales or poets a narrative of what has come to pass, what is, or what is going to be? What else could it be, Adiamentus said. Now, don't they accomplish this with a narrative that is either simple or produced by imitation or by both together? So, God of my nieces. 
We got a mimesis in an episode where we've been talking about truth telling and oh like my God. And disclosure. And disclosure and like the real and the real yeah. version of people. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is in mm-hmm. the part of the Republic where um Socrates is sort of is talking about they're they're talking about um like the ideal regime and and what the kind of educational system is yes. going to be for the guardians and and it's like trying to figure out what kinds of things need to be consumed so that mm-hmm. the appropriate forms of behavior are learned and so that the appropriate like balance of virtues is reached and i think yeah. there's something really interesting about that passage and this episode like that there is like an appropriate balance and that there are certain things you you don't engage in. I think like the thing that's jumping to my brain is like Elizabeth doesn't tell Paige of like she doesn't disclose that they're plotting to kill Pastor Tim. She doesn't disclose that there's like all the stuff happening behind the scenes because like she doesn't I think like she's so angry but she doesn't want to overwhelm Paige with like the the actual right. machinery of what's happening. And I think like there's something about like how do you like cultivate a seemingly natural entry into this world when the world that they're trying to bring Paige into is all is so full of like coercion, shadow, like lying. And for someone who seems so interested in the truth and like obsessive, Mm. an obsessive interest in the truth. I think Mm. there's some, there's a parallel there to like thinking about Elizabeth as designing an infrastructure to pull page in. And that this whole thing happening here is like throwing that to the, like is throwing that up in the air, you know? I love that read because I think it raises the question of to what extent spycraft is like a permanent exercise of mimesis. Yeah, exactly. And the way in which like Elizabeth is better at mimesis than Philip is at mimesis. And yeah. like I think that's part of the part of the like of the self's relationship to the truth and yeah. the self's relationship to the soul, we might say in a yeah. platonic sense, and the soul's relationship to virtue, where like that's just that like imitation. The mimesis is something that is, and like replication is something that Elizabeth is is more skilled at. And then the fact that this all takes place in the context of a show that is doing mimesis, right? right. Like that the representing right. aspect of mimesis. Right as just, like, a bare fact of how we consume it and how it was made and how it gets transmitted to us, I think, like, kind of, like, uh, doubles or redoubles or, like, folds in on itself with the multiple layers of mimesis that are happening. Yeah, and I think, like, that's the trick with mimesis, right? Like, it's always folding in on itself. Like, that's part of the problem Mm, with it is that you can never find the, like, because, like, only the philosopher has has access to the forms yeah. and even then exactly. like the access is o- is like only one through the process of struggle and requires the like requires the educational infrastructure to even get yep. there right like that all these yeah. things are are connected and so it's always folding it on itself or it's always threatening to fold it on itself that's actually quite illuminating for me about the republic itself so like then, then like a pure republic question and we can turn it into an american's point if you want or not, or not. so like when we're doing the forms and we're doing yeah. the cave and we're doing the divided line and all of that, yeah. is like the actual is, is are there actual like 
linguistically, like, is my mesis part of the way that Plato is describing the relationship of, like, the phenomenal realm to the realm of the forms? Yeah, so I think that that's, okay. like, that, that okay. that's precisely the top part of the line and yeah. the mm-hmm. outside of the cave, right? Like, yeah. the relationship that those have to the other parts is mimetic. That is a mimetic yeah. relationship. Okay. Well, I know the next time that I teach Plato, I've just learned a new way to teach book three is because is, is I'm going to be able to tell him it's setting up for, like, the big philosophy reveal in yeah, and the, seven, six and the seven. The truth is, is, like, I, like the, I just taught the Republic, and I was just looking back at my notes like, oh, did I teach this excerpt from it? And I don't. I'm trying to figure out, like, what it was. I don't... I basically skip most of the, like, mimesis stuff because I'm not, I don't expect my students, like, it's not a philosophy class, I don't expect my students to get that. And some of them read it and came to talk to me about it, and that was very interesting, but it's, like, the, I don't think you need the, like, deep philosophy piece to be able to understand the allegory of the cave, which to me is, like, the big part of it. I agree, yeah. Although, like... Because it's so easy for book three to fall into, and I'm certainly guilty of this when I teach book three, like, I talk about it in the language of censorship, but, like, that actually doesn't give full, uh, like, depth to quite what is happening, because there's this philosophical level on which it's operating that, like, calling it censorship is not wrong, but it actually doesn't, like, do enough It's actually, so one, I I agree with that. I don't think it's wrong, but I think there's just more there. Um, Yeah. But I'm laughing because, so last week, you know this, but I gave a talk at Manhattan College. Our wonderful friend, John John Keller, invited me to do it. It was super fun. We also got amazing pastrami sandwiches and went to a Yankee game, which was awesome. It was literally like, it was Hanley Day. Keller actually asked me a question because I gave a talk on mourning and Athens and then tragedy. And so tragedy is one of the things. It's not this particular section, but it's like right right, right before and right after this, uh, Socrates is talking about like n- not just like what kinds of – what poetry – he's talking about what poetry we, we censor, right? Mm-hmm. And part of that is talking about the Iliad and the Odyssey, but part of it is also talking about tragic texts. And Keller was like, oh, well – in the Republic, like, we never hear about mourning. And I was like, but actually, in book three, there is a brief mention of it because there's a mention of Achilles mourning Patroclus. Mm, there's like, mm-hmm. Keller's like, I never I never realized that. I was like, well, it's two lines and I obsessively, like, am looking for citations. <laughs> so, like, I don't expect you, but just so that you know, like, it is part of the, of, like, the plan that if we read the Republic as, yeah. like, as a, a kind of thought experiment about the ideal regime and the education sort of necessary for the guardians, then like you can read that as censorship and as like censoring yeah. particular like excessive like feminine emotions. Yeah. And I think that actually helps us get back to your original point as well about the Americans, because one of the things that Philip and Elizabeth are debating here is what is the correct educational path for Paige to induce her into this particular life, including very directly what stories do we tell her and what stories can we not give her access to? Right. And like, so the part of the, the selection that you read that was like coming back to narrative over and over, that's exactly what Mm -hmm. I was thinking about. Yeah. Oh, Oh, Plato, he can do it all. Listen, I love, we can do it all with the cuff. Like, (laughs) 
Like, give me the Republic off the cuff all day, every day. Yeah, I'm. I get to cheat because, like, I can look at the context of like what's around it and whatever to jog my memory. Because it's been. I got it all up. I think here. The last time I taught the Republic was 2021. Danielle doesn't need it. I to be she's ready to, to go. To be fair, I taught the Republic last week. <laughs> yeah, I know, but still, uh, you're just ready to go. I love it. Let's let. I will say so. Let's get into theory ship. I have one. Please. So we're, we have decided that this season of the Americans is like Plato season. Right. So we're always yeah. going to do some Play-Doh and John's always going to like pull, like sort of get me to pull uh, a letter and a, and a, and a page and whatever. And we decided for this time that we were going to stick with the Republic and we'll probably stick with the Republic a little bit more. There's just so much in there, but I was thinking about Plato in this episode. And so the theory ship that I want to give is I want to give both Philip and Stan, uh, I want to give okay. them symposium. Because <laughs> that that's where you got the there's yearning in their glare. A million percent. It's because you Listen, were thinking symposium. I was not, not only thinking symposium, I was thinking Aristophanes, like two halves of one soul split, mm. like across mm-hmm. the street, mm-hmm. like drives around the block, yearning. These boys need to read symposium. They need to read about the nature of love and the philosophical role that love plays. They sure do. And also, everybody needs a little drunk Alcibiades in their lives. Whom's among <laughs> us is not, in a moment of need, turned to drunk Alcibiades. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what other theory ships do we have? Um, I'm going to go a very obvious route with my theory shipping, that like at the moment in which Nina is like expressing that freedom exists like in her expression of self and her deepest core, even in like a position of confinement— we're just going to give her Dostoevsky. We're going to give her Sartre. Yeah. We're going to give her Camus. Yeah. We're giving her all of the existentialist in, like, the most classic sense of it. We're just giving it all to Nina because we have long established, back to season one, that she is the most existentialist character on The Americans. And, like, never has that been more clear than in this particular moment and in honor of Annette Mahendru, in honor of Nina uh, Sergeyevna, we are letting her read all the existentialists for however long she's in that prison in Siberia. We love to see it. She needs a little existentialist the, philosophy the in her life. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she actually, she all could just write yeah. some at this point. Also, so like I'm all, I'm also open to that. Listen, maybe some like self titled uh, <laughs> existentialist like, po- uh, poems. I'll take them. It's yeah. It's not notes from the underground. It's notes from the prison science research facility. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Thank you. I think you've got one more theory ship. Yeah. So Judith Butler, during the pandemic, they published a book called "What World Is This," which is sort of like their philosophy at the end of the world. Um, Mm -hmm. They gave an interview. This is before this was published, um, and asked this question, which is like formative to my own research. Like when the world as we know it falls apart, what then? And so my work sort of takes up the what then. But the book that they published, like sort of from this is called What World Is This? And I just think that, like, Gabriel and William and Philip, like, all these people <laughs> dealing with glanders need to read Butler's, like, post-COVID philosophy. I agree on a philosophy level. I also agree that if they had access to that book, they would have put it in the freezer. 
I think it would have had practical effects on them I, as well. I mean, I hope so. Also, like, don't they still have the <laughs> glanders? So, like, is it in the freezer yet? <laughs> like, or is it still with those sorry ice cubes in the CVS uh, cooler? Yeah. With a Coca-Cola. Uh, like, what's happening here? <laughs> little do they know that Coca-Cola actually activates, activates the glanders. glanders. The chemicals in the Coke oh my God. activates the glanders. Yeah. John, I think we've come to the end of the episode. <laughs> I'm shocked that I, you made it. You're shocked. I'm shocked that you made this. This has been, like, a truly valiant effort on your part. It's like, I have witnessed Danielle having to, like... Give a brilliant point, immediately mute herself to cough, and then unmute herself in time to come back yeah. with a great rejoinder. <laughs> it's really a masterful performance by the true, like, philosopher, king or queen, I will let you identify as you wish, of uh, niche TV podcasting. I'll take it. I mean, like, the thing is, is that I maybe said this to you before we started recording, but it's so weird to be, to have a cold and for it not to be, I've been testing, like, it's not COVID, and also, like, <laughs> Like, I know what my body feels like when I have COVID. And it's all just, like, right here. It's all in my – you can hear it. I'm sure our, our listeners can yeah. hear it. But it's, like, mm-hmm. I haven't been sick, not COVID, in three years. So I just am, like, what's yeah. happening here? <laughs> it's no good. It's not great. Well, I mean, I – is Daniel knows. I did – I yeah. had a second COVID experience uh, about a week and not a half awesome. ago. So Not awesome. Not awesome. But we're here. We made it. We got to the end of the episode. Um, As always. I got to my office like 14 and a half hours, 13 and a half hours ago. I feel. And here I am. I feel stressed out about that. Larry misses me. Larry does miss miss you. I miss Larry like crawling onto your lap like in the middle of us recording. Yeah. Okay. Thanks as always to producer Amy. Um, yes. Up next in two weeks in the feed, you'll get Americans season four, episode three, experimental prototype city of tomorrow. I can't. <laughs> We're going to Disney World. Apparently. <laughs> um, but that's all for us on this episode of Not Quite Great Books. A TV podcast. Joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast, which was created by Daniel Hanley and John McMahon, and indirectly producer Amy. You can find us on Twitter at Not Great Books TV. You can email us at notgreatbookstv at gmail.com. If you have comments or questions that we might potentially read and respond to on air, subscribe, download, rate, review us, tell your friends to find us at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Amazon Music and Google Podcasts. We would like to thank Less FM for Electro Trend 60s, which is the music that you heard at the beginning and you are hearing right now. Until next time, go play some racquetball.